You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. I hope you've enjoyed as much as I what we've learned about God in just the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Can you imagine what we're going to see about him as we walk through the rest of Scripture? The first chapter that comes after this kind of primeval foundations of what God is all about is Genesis chapter 12. It actually begins in the last part of chapter 11, and so we're going to walk through what's known as the calling of Abram. Abram was a man who was living in Ur, most likely around the 2000 BC area. We aren't for sure about his exact time. But in 1127, it says this is the account or the, in Hebrew, toldot. Now, toldot, I mentioned at the beginning, I haven't highlighted it all the way through, but there are seven different toldots or accounts, and this is for scholars a way that the book of Genesis is broken up into its key components and helps with the translation and understanding of what Moses is trying to get across in his authorship here. Now, this seventh toldot, by being the seventh, really says, you know what, this is the most important. And this story begins with a man that most of us are familiar with. His name is Abram. Abram literally means the father is exalted. So he's the firstborn that we see in this story. And so when he opened up the womb of his mother, his father looked at him and said, this is Abram. This is the one who exalts me. He will bring a name to us. He will make us great as a family and as a people. I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. He goes through the process. It's, it's an overview. And so at some point he marries Sarai. Sarai is barren, which is really a hard thing in their world, even more so than ours, because birth was seen to be as a direct result of the gods. They implanted the seed within the womb of this mother and they blessed it and they made life. So if you did not please the gods, then no matter how much sex you had, there was going to be no children that would be born through this process. So her barrenness, especially when we see in just the next chapter that this is 75 years of age, most likely she's married when she's a teenager. This is years and years of trying to conceive. And so it's a real statement on this woman that she's almost a curse more than a blessing, which is interesting because of Abram's statement from his father, from his birth and his naming, that he is going to bring greatness. And yet this woman that was brought into the family, and it wasn't a love marriage. These were marriages that were made in order to make the family name great and to be able to buy your new land or expand your territory or find new flocks. She's brought a curse, She hasn't brought blessing in this process. And then we see Terah taking his family to leave to go to Canaan on the way he stops in Haran. For Terah to leave Ur, as we go back into the 2000s, from about 3000 to 2000 BC, the Mesopotamian world, especially the city of Ur, 
is the center of that Middle East success. And so Terah, with his son Abram and, and his other brothers, is literally in the center of the world. That They're at the crossroads of where life is the best. And if you're going to leave from that place, it's a real statement that things are not the way that they should be. Because in the ancient world, land was controlled by the gods, and those gods blessed people in those lands. And so if they found blessing, they would stay in that place. So Terah's moving from Ur, eventually to Haram, is showing that there's an underlying struggle that's going on inside the family. They're most likely not finding the blessings that they thought they would have. Now they've found a new place. This is maybe going to be a place that brings them success. They'll find the gods of that territory in Haran. They'll worship those gods and life will be great. When we look further in the story, that seems to actually happen because there are many flocks and herds and everything else that Abram leaves when we get to Genesis chapter 12, because the Lord says to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's house to the land I will show you. Just like Terah, to leave your land was to give up everything. Not only did you give up your land, you gave up your family, you gave up your inheritance, and you gave up your gods, the gods that were located in that locality who would bring you blessing. This is, again, just starting over. To start over once in the ancient world was hard enough. To do it twice would have just been almost inconceivable. From the way that Yahweh interacts with Abram here, doesn't seem like he is any part of the pantheon of gods that are known in Haran. There seems to be no prior knowledge of this God and his revelation to Abram. And yet he asks him to leave. And if he does leave, this is his promise. I will make you into a great nation. It could also be translated as kingdom. This is important because when we began the story, it says, hey, Adam and Eve, this is your command. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. You rule over kingdoms. And like we talked about before, God made Adam and Eve and all of their creation, humanity itself, to be a kingdom of priests that served over his creation on this earth for as long as they would live in relationship with the eternal God. That kingdom was lost. And by the time we get to Genesis 11, we're trying to recreate our own kingdoms in our own name to make our own way. And we're trying to manipulate God to bless us in our purposes. And God says, no, we're not playing that game. I am God, you're not. I have a purpose here, and I'm going to get you to that end goal. So he finds this man, Abram, and he promises that through him, he will reestablish the kingdom of God here on this earth. Not only that, but he will make his name great. Like we talked about in our last lesson, God's primary concern is to make his own name, the name of God, great. But... If we are to make his name great, practically, if we're in his image, our name is going to need to become great. Because the more that we live into our being, into our name, the more we're showing who he really is because we're mirrors of the divine. 
And so God knows that he needs to work through humanity in order to show the infinite of his goodness. And he's going to use Abram to do that. Not only is he going to bless Abram by leaving all of his family behind, but he says in verse 3, all the peoples will be blessed through. Abram believes God. He leaves Haran, goes to Canaan, and in Canaan ends up interacting with God at the tree of Moreh and at Bethel, the house of God. Bet is house and El is God. And he establishes this relationship with God, that God is a God of this land, is how he would have understood it. And that if he could be established in that land of Canaan, then God, El, would bless him and he would establish a kingdom through Abram there and that he would make his name great and that through that name, it would bring blessing to the entire world. There's a lot there in the actual kind of narrative, but again, why we're here is to see who God is. One of the first things that stands out to me in this is that God is at work long before our moment in the sun, and he will be at work long afterward. Abram does not choose to move from Ur of the Chaldees to Canaan. He chooses to move from Haran to Canaan. It may seem like a minor point, but God had already started the movement. Ur is about in the southeastern corner of the Middle East as you could get. And the movement to Haran was to move directly north. He was, in a sense, halfway there. And so oftentimes we think that God is only going to do his work in our lives. And we miss the broader picture that God is at work in our lives as humanity. God was working in your parents and your grandparents, whether they acknowledged him or not, whether they knew him or not. And he orchestrates the movements of his creation in order to get people to where he wants to get them to. If he can work through even those who are not committed to his cause and knowing him, then he can work through those who've been called by him. And not only is he going to work through those, he's going to work beyond those. And he does a work that goes way beyond Abram, and we see this in the story. Secondly, he chooses the most unlikely people to do the most unbelievable work on a regular process. 75-year-old, unable to have children, you're going to start a kingdom. That doesn't make sense. In all ancient kingdoms, it was a patrilineal type of kingdom structure. You passed on that throne to your oldest son. If you don't have any kids, you could pick the best person in the world. What's going to happen as soon as that person dies? The kingdom is done. So God chooses this man who has no descendant to pass on. Why in the world? If you are the brilliant God of all creation, why would you pick a person like this? And we're going to have to dig into that a little bit more, but it shows us a lot about God's character. Next, God is willing to give us everything if we're willing to give up everything. He doesn't say, here, Abram, let me give you all of my blessing. Let me make you a great kingdom here in Haran. No, he says, leave all your support. Leave everything in your world that you think you need to make life good 
and then, and only then, I will do all that I promise for you. God did that with Abram, and he continues to do that with his people throughout all of history. He asks us to trust him, not our resources, as the sole provider for all. And finally, in this story, what I see about God is that he blesses those who are willing to trust him more than what they can handle so that it pours out as a blessing to others. This is absolutely amazing that he doesn't choose Abram to say, hey, I'm going to make you great, and I'm going to do all this kind of stuff just because, you know what, I want to make everybody jealous. I I want them to see just how awesome I can be to you. No, he says, I will bless you, and through you, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. What kind of God is this that says, I want to bring blessing and goodness to everyone. He's a God who understands that the people who are the least can hold the least. And because they can hold so little, it just spills out of them. May God regularly choose the least of us, the most unlikely of us, with his blessings so that it is more than what we can handle. And it pours out into the places that need it so much so that they can see just how great our God really is. That's what the calling of Abram really highlights, and we'll dig into more in our next episode. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.